Note that St. Peter said, We have believed and have known, not known and believed. Faith comes first, then understanding. Faith seeking understanding could, I suppose, be a subtitle for many great works of theology. Understanding seeking faith could be a subtitle for many works by agnostics. It's our Catholic faith that gives us the deepest possible penetration into reality, deeper far than any other human mode of cognition. Why? Because faith is a sharing in God's own knowledge. Just as our life of grace gives us a share in his life, making us partakers of the divine nature, as St. Peter puts it, so, corresponding with the human faculties of will and intellect, we have charity and faith. By charity, we share in God's love, as anyone can see by looking at Mother Teresa. By faith, we share in God's knowledge, as has often seemed plain to me from seeing certain people praying before the Blessed Sacrament. It's only by our faith that we are fully in touch with reality. How else could anyone possibly be aware that our Lord is there in the tabernacle? Human knowledge can tell us what stars are made of. Faith can tell us about their maker. Human knowledge can take us to the confines of space. Faith to the throne of God. Human knowledge can take us back to the Big Bang. Faith takes us back before even that and forward beyond the end of time into eternity. Faith provides the dimension that alone gives life its meaning and purpose. People without faith see things happen, but they don't know why God lets them happen. It's like a dog at a birthday party. He's having a great time, all those people eating. At any moment, food might fall to the floor. He's really enjoying himself, and it looks as though he's really entering into the spirit of the thing. But all the same, he doesn't know what he's really all about. He doesn't know it's a birthday party. So people without faith do indeed observe the world. They observe it very closely. But they don't know the why and wherefore of it all. They don't know its underlying purpose. To them, it seems to be ruled by chance, or by natural selection, or whatever they care to call it. But it's only we who know that God is our Father can see the whole world bathed in the light of his love. We see it as it really is. I remember being with my mother once when she wanted to buy a reel of cotton. She took it out of the shop to look at it by daylight. To see the world as it really is, we must see it in the light of faith. In the darkness of unbelief, we can't enjoy its God-given harmony and purpose. It's only to a believer that the world really makes satisfying sense. God wants us to believe. When he finds faith, he's pleased, as he was pleased with Abraham and with the centurion. He was pleased with St. Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, he said. But there's a darker side to this. While our faith pleases him, our want of faith not only displeases him, it's culpable. Before leaving his apostles, Jesus told them, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The Jews 
fell away from being the people of God because they wouldn't believe in Christ our Lord. In God's eyes, want of faith seems to be culpable. Our Lord said, He who does not believe will be condemned. Why should this be so? The reason could be this. Faith implies total homage. The whole person bows in adoration before God and his revelation. Faith implies the total surrender of the whole person, which is the only fitting response a creature can make to his creator. Unbelief suggests there's not been this total surrender. It suggests there's some interior reservation. And since this relates to God, it means there's some interior arrogance. We have to submit to God in all that we have, all that we are. Faith enters into the very heart of God's plan for our salvation. Whoever refuses to believe, refuses to play their part in that plan. Our very nature requires that we submit totally to God. That's why converts feel such immense interior peace and relief as soon as they're received. It's as though a bone in their soul had been out of joint and is now back in place. St. Paul talks about the obedience of faith. He wants to bring every intellect to that attitude of homage which is God's due, and that should be our aim too. Every apostolate should aim directly or indirectly at implanting and strengthening faith. It was only this desire of passing on the faith that made St. John give us his gospel. He wrote, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It was only the desire of passing on the faith that sent the French missionaries across the Atlantic to their deaths at the hands of the Red Indians. It was only the desire of passing on the faith that drove St. Francis Xavier to India and Japan, or St. Peter Chanel to Oceania and martyrdom. It's this desire of passing on the faith that burns like a fire in the hearts of priests, just as it did in the heart of St. Paul when he exclaimed in one of his letters, The love of Christ drives us on. <clears throat> Caritas Christi urgentos. Now here's another point. We should enjoy exercising our faith, just like children enjoy exercising their growing muscles. They can't sit still. They feel a real need to move their limbs. Surely you must remember how your body ached when you had to sit still. We should be growing in faith all our life long. So all our life long we need to exercise our faith. Some people feel this need acutely. I remember a young woman telling me that the conversation at work was sometimes so awful she'd go to the toilets so that she could be alone with God for a moment and refresh her soul with heartfelt prayer. To pray is to exercise our faith. To adore our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament is to exercise our faith. To read Holy Scripture or Lives of the Saints is to exercise our faith. We should frequently exercise our faith, even when we don't feel like doing so, just as we do our bodies. That's why some 
old people keep a dog to make sure they take their daily exercise. I mean, the old people take their daily exercise. But if we don't exercise our face, it'll grow weak. If you lie in bed for a year, when you get out of bed, you can't even walk as far as the window. Nobody's actually cut out your muscles. It's simply because you've not exercised them that they don't seem to be there. Faith shows us the world and ourselves in their real beautiful colours. By faith, we know that God has everything under control. The future's in his hands. We know that we're his beloved children. This should give us a, a tranquil confidence about things, a sanguine, upbeat attitude to life. If you went on the Big Dipper in a theme park without realising what it was, it could be a terrifying experience. But if you, if you know what it is, and if you enjoy that sort of thing, you get an extra thrill and pleasure from knowing that you're going to have some pretty ghastly shocks, but that the whole thing runs on rails and will have a happy ending. We are God's children, and our faith tells us that he has everything under control. He loves us, and it's he who is the Lord of history. God cannot be pleased if we start thinking that he no longer cares, or that the situation has got out of control. I was once being given a lift by someone, and his six-year-old daughter was in the back seat. She was a real backseat driver, if ever there was one. Daddy, you're going too fast. Daddy, there's a car coming. Oh, Daddy, watch out. Finally he got fed up and looked round and said, Don't you trust your Daddy? It would be shameful if we, after so many proofs of God's power and love for us, were to be backseat drivers when divine providence is at the wheel.